What's going on? Welcome to the Land Podcast. This is Jake Hofer. This week, we have a great episode with Mo. Mo is from originally Mexico and actually lives in Illinois. Bought his first farm in Wisconsin and has since bought two other farms. And this is a really great story. He talks about being a brand new hunter, not knowing anything, and to really surrounding himself with some really great people and learning a lot. So this is an excellent conversation. I hope you guys really enjoy it. Just got back from the Total Archery Challenge in Michigan, so we're a little bit late here on the time frame of getting this episode out. I want to say thanks to everyone that stopped by the Exodus booth, scooped up some of those cameras at 25% off for our eight-year anniversary sale, and uh, shared some kind words. So it was really great to see so many awesome people there at the show. I want to say thank you so much. And real quick, if you're brand new to the Land Podcast, I'm just going to tell you this. The goal here is to help 100 people buy their first piece of ground. There's three ways to be included on this list of 100. Number one, if you're in the state of Illinois and looking for assistance, I'm happy to help. Number two, if you want to get connected with someone that I would personally consider doing business with, I'm happy to make an introduction and you can decide from there. And if I don't know anyone in that part of the country where you're at, then I'll tell you But uh, a great opportunity to get some buyer's representation and help navigate you through these waters. As you've heard on some of these podcasts, that's often a key component of getting to the finish line on a transaction. Number three, if you just simply learn something here from the podcast, it helps you take action. Let me know. I want to include you. And this weekend actually got a lot of questions of how close are we to 100. And I need to recompile some emails. But the last time I checked, we were over 50. And I would anticipate we're closer to 60 now. So we're, we're closing the distance here. Thanks to all of you guys. I want to say thank you so much. Let's go ahead and get into this episode. Here we go. Thank you for having me, Jake. Um, it's going going great. Very good, man. I'm excited to dive into this conversation. Uh, I've got a chance to learn a little bit more about your land journey here. It's a really interesting one with a lot of really good lessons that I think a lot of people can apply to themselves, no matter where they're at in this, uh, wherever they're at in their, in their journey in regard to land. But before we get into all of that, go ahead and introduce yourself so people can uh, learn a little bit more about you. Sure thing. So uh, Mo Reyes here. I've been uh, hunting for almost 10 years now. I started when I was uh, 30 years old, late into the game, didn't grow up hunting. Uh, this was when 2014. So, you know, been trying to be a sponge and surround myself with big, big deer killers and, and just trying to learn, you know, woodsmanship and archery, every, everything I can just so I can uh, speed up that learning curve and post it, post the journey online. And uh, land has been a part of that journey. And I'm on my third property. Uh, yeah. And in, in what this, this past, what's been like six years since I got into, into the land game. That's really cool. So what, what provoked you to try hunting in 2014? Uh, so it's, it's <laughs> So we can thank uh, Obama for this because <laughs> the uh, the assault weapons ban uh, was looming. Um, and at the time I was like, you know what, I, if I'm going to get into firearms, might as well get get in it, get in it now. So sure, sure enough, I went out. Uh, if you live in Illinois, you need a, a FOID card so that you you are allowed to, to own a firearm. And um, my wife and I went, went you know, signed off all the paperwork, got an AR-15 before they banned them, or were supposed to ban them. And then uh, I got a, a shotgun, a Mossberg uh, 580, I believe it was. This was uh, late in the in the year. And then I started thinking, well, like, well, you know, like, yeah, you can shoot, but like, what, what are you going to do with it? Uh, well, like, my cousin used to hunt, and uh, you know, I didn't grow up hunting or anything like that. And... Um, I said, well, let's like, can we deer hunt? Can we do that? So I, very quickly, this was like I said, like in the wind, going to the winter time. So it was December. Very quickly, got my hunters, um, I heard the hunters education permit, going through the yeah. whole uh, lessons that I think you need to, to take to get uh, the permit, your license. So I went through all that as quickly as I could, and and uh, I was out in the field in public land in out in uh, in Lee County. 
um, I think it was like late season uh, shotgun. And I had no idea what I, what I was doing. I, I just you know knew the regulations, had a pop-up uh, uh, blind, and I just put it where I thought it, it kind of made sense. And uh, I actually had a <laughs> I actually had a doe pop up out of just crossing. Might might have been like a twenty yard shot, and I just did not even know what to do about it at the moment. And I try aim as best as I could. At the time, I used to think that you know a slug gun with a, with a shotgun, you're like you just look down the board. I didn't have a, a scope or anything. I'm just like trying to line it up, and that thing you shoot shot so crooked uh, without a scope on it. So I shot at it at the doe, and um, the shot went right into the ground and I'm like, okay, well, did I hit her? Did I not? And like, I just went and checked where I shot. I'm like, okay, well, that was amazing. Super fun, super exciting. But I'm like, okay, this is definitely I'm super green, but I'm like, I'm hooked. This is, this is what I, what I want to do. Uh, and then I very quickly learned that uh, in Illinois, you only get really like generalizing like two weekends out of the whole season yep. uh, to hunt with a, with a gun, unless you're doing, you know, the muscle loader and all the other stuff. But uh, I wanted to get the most out of the season. So I said, okay, well, now I have to learn how to shoot the bow. So now <laughs> that opened a whole nother box of uh, of learning uh, going into, what, 2015. So learning archery from from scratch, essentially. Dude, yeah. You started from ground zero. Yeah. <laughs> that is, <laughs> that is, that's really cool. So how intimidating was that to, obviously, it, it shows some real ambition to all right, you got a gun. Now you're going to go out to where you have public access. You're going to give it your best shot. You get hooked. And then to your point, getting into archery, then you realize right. like, I have even more questions than I know what to ask. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what I assume that process was like. Yeah. And, and you know, for me, it has always been all about, you know, people throw around this, this uh, growth mindset, which is just be a sponge, con- constantly be learning, always, always pick something up. And uh, for me, this, this became very quickly set really a, an area where I knew I'm never going to learn enough or, or be able to com, come close to what some of the, the people I have surrounded myself with uh, have accomplished already. And um, so for me was, and I've always been very, very uh, resourceful, if you will. So I started just diving in. I'm like, okay, who who, who knows public land the best and the most or, or whose name was out there? And at the time, uh, the Hunting Beast Forum came up. So I went into that forum. I'm just like absorbing, just reading, reading, reading. And uh, for those who, who are not familiar with it, Dan Info uh, started that uh, that, part, that uh, forum. And back then, he was fairly popular. I mean, but now he's so, so much. So yeah, much that popular. was before he got really, really popular. <laughs> yeah, really, really popular. So this is what, 2015, uh, he used to host. I don't know if he still does this, but uh, he would have like a work day where you could come out to his place and he would take you to public land and, and kind of show you the ropes and then talk about uh, how they bet in the march, what to look for. Like, just like I'm just trying to speed up my learning process as much as I could. Given that I'm, you know, I'm starting at, you know, in my 30s, where everybody else that I know started when they were like 10 years old or younger, so it, it's always for me, hunting has always felt like I'm under the clock and I'm always trying to learn as much and as fast as I could, just because I got a, a late start. So uh, Dan was one of them. What, what, what was that? What was that like going there after one year of hunting? Was it overwhelming, or did you pick up a lot of tips by being there? I, I mean, it was it was both. It was. Uh, I went went in there, and there were guys who clearly have been doing this for a long time, and even they had a lot of a lot of similar questions than than, than the ones that I was coming into. I think, but 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 that time when I showed up, they had already, you know, I had already been doing a ton of research, and like I'm, I mean, like every day, hours upon hours, was reading reading up, watching all kinds of YouTube videos on it, from both uh, like how to read topo maps and 
uh, how deer bed in, in agricultural areas versus the uh, uh, hill country and all the kind of stuff that, that uh, it's, it's pretty basic for, for most people now. So when I went there, it was more about understanding like, okay, well, what does a bed look like? What do you look for? And, and where do they tend to sit? Because when you go to public ground, you're just, you know, it looks kind of thick over there. Let's just, you know, go, go see. But then that taught me how to do the pre-scouting. He's huge about scouting. So I spent a lot of time out uh, in, in different public land, not, not in the county anymore. I was moving further, further away, more remote, bigger, bigger areas. And uh, spending days literally just following the transition line and marking on the on the onyx of the different bedding spots or what i thought were bedding spots in some cases like looking back it's there was a lot of uh, um, turkey scratching that at the time looked like beds to me but like you know you just you just don't know and i never really had um even the people that i started to hunt with in the early days they didn't have that level of woodsmanship or or understanding that Dan was providing. So whenever I started talking about the the lee side of the hill and all these things that Dan talks about, you know, the people that kind of brought put me under brought me under their, their wing, they're like, I've never heard about the lee side. And I've never heard about this terminology. And these people, these are people in like their 60s mm-hmm. who have been hunting and who have been successful. So it was kind of strange for me to be like, I'm the complete new newbie here and I'm bringing concepts that they have never heard of before, but that was picking up from, from, you know, hanging out with some of these people. Yeah. I almost think sometimes that by starting fresh with quote unquote, no bad habits or a more open mindset is an advantage in a lot of ways uh, for a lot of things. And I think that's a good illustration to that because to your point, they've had success, but maybe, maybe they could have been even better, but they just never asked the questions and, or they were just successful enough to where they didn't feel where they needed to get better. Where like you clearly were extremely hungry to learn as much as possible and try to flatten that learning curve as much as possible. Right. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. One of them, you know, like this, this one public ground that we hunted, he would sit on the same stand, doesn't matter what the wind was, every single day and every single season. And I've hunted with, with him uh, at least five seasons. He's gotten pretty nice deer out of that exact same spot, no matter... I mean, he's hunting the, the, the peak of the run, right? Sure. So he's right in a, in a funnel uh, in the in the bottom. So he's probably catching the, the oddball that just happens to cruise by. And by the time, and he, he's also hunting with a crossbow. So, I mean, he's if he if he sees it, he's got to like, have an opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And so um, what were some other, I'm just curious, like what were some of the other things that you kind of latched onto and learned that, or what were some things that you latched onto and learned from during that process? Because you went to an infault workshop. What else? Right. Yeah. So from I think with Dan and, and uh, some of the other books, uh, you know, Don Higgins, I, I read a lot about them, about him. Um, John Eberhardt read a lot of his stuff, uh, listened to a lot of his stuff. So, uh, you know, like I, I guess you could say that I've been just kind of like picking from all these different great white-tailed killers and like just applying what I've seen uh, when I'm out in the woods. I'm like, okay, this is what Dan talks about. Like, so far, Dan is the the wind on the, the lee side and and picking where I want to hunt based on on where which direction the the wind is uh, blowing. For from uh, from John. Uh, he would talk about you know the pressure and like the time of the year where you want to get on what get on um, scrapes in the early in the early earlier part of the uh, of, of the run. Um, and then with Don, uh, I've picked up and I mean I'm just coming like first thoughts that come off off the, off the top of my mind. Uh, from Don, it's been about access. 
and understanding how you know again also always about the win but making sure that you're not being very dis- too disruptive on your mm-hmm. way in and, and your way out uh and even now just when the last last uh, purchase that i made with, from uh from uh, bobby kendall uh with the whitetail group i just spent an hour chatting with him and he has a very interesting tactic that i have never thought about before but he uses what he, what he calls walls and it, it really is uh, a way to kind of nudge the deer to avoid certain areas or, or go into other directions and sometimes he uses just uh, blowdowns you know just take the trees down or in some instances he will use just like a four uh four foot high fence mm-hmm. short little short pieces of it but that just kind of pushes the deer into the the, yeah exactly so I thought, like, if you have the, the ability to do that sort of manipulation of land on land that you own, like that makes can make a huge, huge difference on the right on the right piece of property and the, the, the right spot. Mm-hmm. Isn't it fascinating how the more you learn, like how many ways there are to skin a cat and, oh, and all like because sure. all those guys you mentioned, extremely successful white tail hunters, but they all have their own different approaches. And they're all wildly successful, you know, uh, in their own respect and regard. So uh, that's really cool. And, I, and it's awesome to hear that you just went full send to learn all of these different things. So the leading up after the first year where you hunted, you got your bow. What, what was that next season like? And then I guess, how did that lead into eventually of like, okay, well, I want some more opportunities. Right. Sure. So this is 2015. Uh, I got the bow and I mean, that alone is just a whole nother uh, <laughs> conversation, but I went to, you know, if you live in the Chicago area, there, there's maybe three or four bow shops. And I walked in there and I said, like, I want, I don't want the most expensive bow. I want something that is going to be like your Glock of bows. So reliable, it's not going to break the bank, but it's going to get the job done. And uh, I was suited with a Hoyt charger at the time. You know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's a good, good bow, but it wasn't like top, top of the line. And um, spent the, uh, well, actually, not surprisingly, uh, I, I I looked up who's a great archery coach in Illinois, and um, oh my gosh, I forget his name, Kerry Wonderly, who is um, he was a, uh, an Olympics archery coach. His son actually won a medal in the Olympics. Wow! He lives down in in Mason County. So as I said, like I just need to accelerate the, the learning as quickly as I could. So I called him up and I said, I need to, I want to become a better archer. So I drove down to his farm. I mean, this is me who hasn't shot a, a deer. Uh, and I walked into his house. I mean, you, there must have been 50 <laughs> of over 180, 200 uh, deer. Like, just ginormous deer. Like uh, I'm wearing a white tail crib shirt right now, actually. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, may, I just blew my mind. And if you look up his name, there's an art, there's, you come up with these articles. He, um, he will kind of walk you through the technique, but then he will just sit down. He will open a door at the end of his hallway and that's your target. And he's not even looking at target, he's just looking at you. And based on your on your form and how you execute the shot or how long you take to execute the shot, he'll, he'll just quickly determine what are your, your faults. And, and he doesn't even care about the target. So I spent about half of the day with him and um, half a day with him. And I just learned so much, you know, like this stuff like that. It's basically like target panic. How do you, how, how do you avoid that? How do you, what do you focus on? And and he has a great book. If you, I would recommend that to people who are just kind of getting into the, like the shooting, shooting mindset. Um, so going into that season in the fall, uh, I had picked out a, a different different uh, public because again, some of the feedback that I was getting is like, no, you want to be removed big big properties and away from from civilization. And I found a place that is, I mean, kind of met that criteria. 
And uh, I was staying at uh, at a lodge nearby. And the cool thing about that lodge is that people from all actually this surprised me. Like there were people from Wisconsin, people from people from Georgia were coming all the way to Illinois to this massive public land just to hunt, and they're paying what four hundred, five hundred dollars for the tag. Yeah, yeah, for a tag. So that blew my mind. And um, that very first weekend, it might have been the first weekend in in October. I went out there with just the all the information that I have gathered and I just kind of picked the spot um, that was on, on a, the right wind, the side. And I was a little bit on the, right before it starts dropping on that military crest that Dan talks about. And I set up on a tree. Uh, it was around three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And then you see a doe. And obviously like you go from everybody has, who hunts probably has experiences. You go from like just excited to seeing a deer to excited to be actually getting a shot at a deer. So um this doe shows up, it was like a, and it's crazy that I can actually remember all this. It was a 37 yard shot. And here I am with, with my bow and I put it like, just somebody had suggested, uh, I think it might've been like Rampiat broadhead. So I put it on it and, uh, and I just, I'm like, well, here he goes. And I took a shot and, and I actually hit her and it was, it was perfect, uh, perfectly, uh, through the, through the lungs. She took off running and, uh, and like, I'm shaking, you know, like feeling amazing that like, this is my first time with a bow on a tree with my first in my lone wolf tree stand like uh, everything that dan was preaching at the time and uh and i made it happen i'm like well i'm like well is this like is this going to be that easy where you just come climb up the first <laughs> first set and you and you get it done so i got down and then uh you know you get all the shakes you're all excited and i go find this doe and and uh and i'm like well there she is like what do i do now because up on never got that far <laughs> like let's worry about the <laughs> Let's worry about gutting the deer uh, like later, like probably not going to happen this, this season, but like it happened. So uh, I had met a couple of gentlemen from Wisconsin and, and uh, at the launch. These guys were, this is one of them is the one that was talking about that hunts the, the same spot. Um, so it's after, you know, after dark, I meet up with them at, in, in the parking lot. I'm like, so I just shot a doe, a doe and I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what to do now. They're like, oh, no, no, that's awesome. I mean, they, man, they made me feel like I was the top killer of the day. So that was an amazing experience. And um, we went to find her, find her. And uh, this guy actually is, I find, found this out later. He, sort of does this for a living where he butchers deer in, in his town so within five minutes he's like boom 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 i'm done like he had just skinned the you know gutted it and uh we rolled it out of there we got to the back to the lodge and uh he's like you want me to just like do the whole animal for you and, and i mean you don't have to pay me anything i was like yeah like show me how you do it like i just want to learn mm-hmm. everything you do so they lifted lifted it up with uh with the tractor and he just went to town and just like within seconds he had quarter the whole thing uh and then the next morning he was even helping me like taking off the silver skin everything so i came like i had uh you know deer venison ready to go in one weekend and like everybody this is your thing like i live outside of chicago and like an hour like i'm still an hour outside i have a corporate job I'm the oddball in in my in my social circle because nobody hunts that in 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 like the people that I work with like nobody hunts so I come back I'm like I got venison I got all these things and people are like what you like to them it's even more amazing that somebody who is is commuting to downtown Chicago for work is actually able to do something like this so it was uh, pretty amazing and and, uh, and my daughter loves loves venison so that was a, a great great experience um, and then tying that to kind of like what what goes next in, in to like the journey, um, a couple seasons went by. I actually, I actually just to close that one out. I didn't shoot a buck in that season. 
but I did also meet the guys from Georgia that I mentioned. They actually were staying at that lodge, but they had a lease. They actually had a couple leases. One of them was 300 acres that were about an hour, hour's drive away from, from the lodge. And then another one that I, I can't remember much about. Uh, but these guys were shooting big bucks uh, and like they were getting it done within like five days. So I was always like, you know, and they were super, you know, super nice people. Um, and then we, you know, we, we became buddies uh, just hanging out at the lodge. I think, I think that part was crucial in just starting broadening my, my hunting network, if you will. Um, so the following season, I'm still hammering that that uh, public land and uh, now we're starting to get into the bucks and everything that I was learning that, you know, what Dan was preaching about this side and, uh, and getting in the in the right spots. I mean, I there were two instances. One that that really come to mind. One, I think I got up on the trip at noon, and I was just and it's, it was a really crooked, ugly tree. And I'm like looking down at the bottom, so it's like right on the edge. And uh, before you know, I look up and there's this doe that was just kind of sitting there, about like you know, like 30 yards or so. And I'm like, okay, it was just a doe. Like you very quickly had moved moved on from being excited about the shooting the doe to like, okay, now let's get after the box. And um, as soon as she kind of like moved her head or something, I'm like, well, it's, there's something else going on. And I look and it's like, I mean, in hindsight, it must have been like a, maybe like a 150, like looked like a horse to me at the time. And, and it was just, and I'm like, just, I lost it. Like, I'm like just shaking. Like I could not control my, my knees shaking, my heartbeat. It was just like insane book fear. Like, you know, people talk about this, but you, it's nothing like I had ever experienced before. And I actually drew back on him. And for whatever reason, I just could not find find it within myself to put the pin on the on the on the vitals. And I was just holding, holding, holding. But for whatever reason, I just like I just froze up. And the the the, the buck fever, the, the the anxiety was so high that I just wanted to just like like let it go. And I just kind of like just release the arrow and like it goes wherever it goes. Like I do not like this feeling at all. <laughs> and I ended up hitting like a branch or something. And then he took off and I just see this giant rack just, you know, bouncing away. I'm like, amazing experience. And I'm like, this, this is for me. Like, I know that this is going to be like the rest of my life. I'm just going to keep seeking this opportunity um, and trying to get it done. Now that, that one instance, this is after hammering this out, like, that public land, like I would take a full 10 days every single day, not the same spot, but bouncing around. And there will be days where I'm in there at the crack of dawn and I wouldn't see a thing, you know, but like that, you know, you can, most people can relate to this, that you can go through a full season day after day after day. You're just waiting for that one opportunity and yeah. you give me about five seconds out of the entire season to get it done. And that was my, for that season, that was that, that moment. So um, yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, I mean, again, I'm paying my dues, right? Like, yeah, you can absorb everything that you can from the books, but you have to do it. You, need, you have to get out and you have to do it. So again, you just trying to put myself out there and get get those experiences under under my belt. And so you're hooked. And did did so? What'd you do? Like, because I assume you had that opportunity at that book, and you're like, all right, I want to get more opportunities at. Right. Good deer. And so you're a man that solves problems from <laughs> from, from the impression I get. So right. what was what was your uh, how'd you proceed? Right. So my uh, so these guys from Georgia that I mentioned, um, I was talking with them just, you know, just just friends. And he one of the one day, one of the, the lead lead guy of the of that crew reached out and he said, you know what? 
you're busting your ass at uh, hunting public and you know you're putting in the effort and like that's commendable but we, we want you to to get them get you on big deer and and um, mature animals I have give you more opportunities to do it and we have an opening in our with our, with our group it's only five five guys and then they haven't I think one of them was stepped away and um, for the amount so now that I know this right like the amount of money that it costs to buy your own property and the amount of money it costs to, to, to lease land even within the amount of money that you have to come up to to these them what they were asking for for three access to 300 acres is it was very very affordable um and i'm talking less than two thousand dollars for, for oh, wow. 300 acres yeah so i'm like yeah let's let's do it no that there was a there was a catch and the catch was because they all live in georgia they they won't set foot on the property until november 1st and nobody hunts that place before november 1st including me so they they would allow me to have the place all to myself from november 10th till the end of the season mm. so it's 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 good and bad. It's good because I'm coming from hammering the head of the public with a lot of pressure to like this 300 acres just to myself. But these these are five guys that are going to hammer the hell out of 300 acres. Whack at least three bucks. Out. Yeah. For for ten days straight, yeah. So that's so why I'm like, yeah, like uh, I'll do it. I'm super excited to do it, and this actually allowed me to learn how to get into food plots because they had a tractor. They have like six food plots. So because I am the local guy, and I'm just eager to learn, and I actually I was, I, I think I was the youngest out of them at the time. They were more than happy to allow me to go in there with, you know, start tilling the soil, going with this with the spreader. Like that's how I learned how to do food plots. Is thanks to these guys that had the equipment um, and gave me the the trust and resources to. To do it and they told me told me what what i need to do when to do it and, and how to do it so um i kept hunting both the public and then i was hunting that piece after november 10th and the very first set on november 10th and this would have been in 2017 or so i saw more bucks mature bucks in one sitting the very first time <laughs> on november 10th that i, I had seen in all the years that I have been out in public land. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, that completely like blew my mind in terms of one, like I tip my hat to anybody who shoots a buck in public land. It is very, very hard to do. Even when you, you know, as Dan does it, it makes it look almost easy um, and it's a grind, but it's it's very, very hard. And so kudos to anybody who can get it done. Now in in uh, private land, what I guess what I quickly learned was that now you have to get choosy about what animal you're after, right? And and, uh, and at the time I started, um, this lease is in the same area where the, uh, the, uh, the guys from the, the working class podcast they all kind of live in that area um and that's and you know i, I met some of them and and I, I just again you're surrounded by yourself by people who are shooting big deer you naturally start picking up on what are they doing to make this happen and you're also learning how like your your, your taste or your 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 desire also goes up with them and you know like nobody ever look, look down at somebody else's block or anything like that but if you you know you're seeing people who are going after 150 or bigger deer then you're gonna want to be in that same game also if you're trying to control the type of deer that you're gonna you hold in that lease you want to have a certain caliber of deer then you're gonna have to pass on a lot of the smaller ones so um that first season there so i saw a lot of a lot of these uh bucks come and go and i was again like it's a good test for you for your buck fever because you would see them and does it get my heart going or does it not and that becomes a good gauge for for is this a good buck or not and um you know we, we that first season and like I just didn't get as as many bucks as I saw, I didn't get an opportunity to shoot them with a ball. 
but then the gun season came out, came around and that buddy of mine joined joined uh, uh, joined me for that just the gun season. I think he must have taken three doves because this place is loaded with doves. He took three doves and uh, I went back out in the afternoon in, in the morning I went back out in the afternoon and uh, and I shot my first my first buck. Uh, I think he ended up scoring like a 125 but it was like my first buck. It was like a 50 yard shot with a slug gun and uh, you know at the time like even now I have a hard time just telling the rack score just by looking at them. But it was my first antler buck and it was just you know over the moon great day hunting and again just like start picking more of the you know where do you go from here do you want to take it up to the next level bigger bigger deer so great first season and then you know the i've taken four bucks out of that lease as the years have gone by and what has moved me from the lease i still have the lease i just did the lease very little of that public one of the one like must must have been like the fourth season with these guys i said like hey like i really like like hanging out with you all i want to be part of the the crew that kind of hunts that november 1st to the 10th and they one of the, the guy the main guy said well let me run by the rest of the guys and one of them said like no like we're already like you know five guys in five 300 acres like sounds like a lot but it's not it's like no i'd rather not so that became the trigger for me to say okay i learned how to do to do to do food plots and i have kind of like my own vision based on the little bit that I've learned on how I, I would set up this place. And that's the other thing with leases. And when you have too many, a lot of people be part of it, if your philosophy is done online in terms of what you want to do with the property and like how many food plots and then, and uh, how you want to access, because access is very problematic in this, in this lease, because no matter which way you come in, you're going to be blowing, blowing up here. Um, so I think that became the trigger for me to say, okay, well, I, I want to do my own thing. I want to get my own piece. So, um, I think by now I'm what I'm 34, 35. I have put aside I think ten thousand dollars, which for buying land is, is not a lot of money, really, especially now. But it, it's like this is what I had put aside uh, for it, and the way that I approached it was I'm not scared about driving far away, and and I went on you know the various websites that there are, and I, and I looked for what gives me the best bang for the buck and, and just sorting the listings based on um, price per acre. So then I started looking about, cause I really wanted to, you know, for me and I, I, I you know, Jeff Sturgis talks about this, like 50, 40, 40 acres seems like just, just right for one person to, to hunt it if it's the right piece. And I just feel like some people have done it with less, you know, people have killed big deer in like two acres, right? Sure. Like that happens. But for me, I was like, no, you, I really want to get at least four. And, and I'm like, well, Illinois is out of the question because everywhere I looked, and especially the big deer areas, you know, you know it's like four, five, six thousand dollars an acre. And I looked at, um, I'm like, just spread out. Like, let's see, like Wisconsin, what's in Wisconsin? Well, the farther up north you go in Wisconsin, the more heavily wooded it becomes and the cheaper it becomes. Just, there's not a lot of people that live out there. There's a ton of land, there's a ton of woods. And uh, I found, um, several properties that were around a thousand dollars an acre which is awesome like i mean you can get your 40 you can you get your 20 percent down no mm -hmm. problem with with your 10 grand and uh, so i i scheduled a drive to meet with the different agents that had the the listings so in over a weekend it takes me six hours to drive up there from where i live wow uh-huh uh so i drove the six hours and this is past wausau like it's it's way up okay. and uh and the the way that land looks over there is very different from what you see in, in down, down here. It's it's almost no no tillable, no ag. It's all woods. It's all evergreens. It's all popple, and it's all swamp. And the one piece that I found that I ended up buying was a forty in a 
there's like a little road and there's uh, one owner to the left of the road that owns 80, one owner to the right of the road that owns 40 or another 80 and then the, the 40 that would be my piece. And then there's like two other uh, neighbors. So like from this vast set of woods, there already was like a lot of people owning this little section. Well, like that might be problematic, but you know, like I'm just getting started in this, just get my first piece. So bought the 40 and like I said, six hours to, to get there. And I was driving up there pretty much every weekend. So in one year, I put probably 30,000 miles on my truck just by driving up and down and uh, to, to this place. And I hired, I hired Jeff Sturges, uh, because again, I don't know anything about land management. Who's the expert? Who's been getting their, you know, their, their name out there? And who seems to really know what they're doing. So I called Jeff. And again, this is like 2018. He was starting to blow up a little bit and definitely not as much as he, he where he is now. It was actually easy to get a hold of him. That, that <laughs> <Yeah>. So, <laughs> so, uh, so he came, we scheduled it. He came out. We walked the property and we went to the local bar afterwards. And he, you know, we just kind of walked through the plan. He drew the map on, you know, we'll have two food plots. This is your access. Uh, about two thirds of the property were swamp, but he recommended like having a, a mulcher go around it. Uh, so then we have like a, a natural food plot in the back where, where all the dogwood was growing. So here I am, someone who again corporate job, never hired a, an excavator or anything like that. So I'm up in the middle of, of nowhere in, in up in northern Wisconsin, and I'm calling uh, excavators to come out. And I'm like, well, I kind of flagged it based on the map, go to town. And they showed up. And I remember I have actually have a video on YouTube, but like kind of how I transformed the, the property. Some of you like later if you want to see it. But yeah, definitely. Um, they showed up with a giant like bulldozer <laughs> and they're just ripping through the sea of purple. And before I know it, within two days, before I knew it, I had two food plots, one an, an, an acre and a half and the other one was uh, half an acre. And then I had the trail that connected the two of them on the outside. And I'm adding the soil over there is so, so acidic. I think I had to literally bring two dump trucks worth of uh, lime just to start for your food that. plots, <laughs> yeah. just for the food plots. And at the time it was, uh, at the time lime wasn't as expensive, fertilizer wasn't as expensive, but I was like, I knew from the previous experience, you gotta check your soil. You gotta know what, what it needs. I'm glad I did it because like nobody was growing anything and I was the only one uh, who actually like I had soybeans growing out of this thing and I had just you know um two years into it. So anyway, so put blinds, put you know, it transformed the property. Um all the neighbors were benefiting from it because now all the deer are being drawn to this magnet of food and we were seeing a lot of deer. And I mean, every single evening I could count, like just expected the doe family to show up. Now, the tricky thing about hunting up north is, well, there's several things. One, once the gun season shows up or the days leading up to the gun season, I mean, you can just feel it in the air because it there's so much more movement in general, people on the roads and all these neighbors that I mentioned were like getting ready for it. So, I mean, if I can pick up one, I'm sure every single deer and wildlife in general can tell that something something's uh, changing. And also you have bears, you have wolves. Uh, I remember seeing in my trail cameras, packs of wolves just coming through the big timber wolves, just kind of just cruising through through the food plot. So I'm like, and, and bears, black bears. Big giant, you know, big uh, black bears. So I'm I'm walking, uh, <laughs> I'm walking to my to my uh, truck in that at night from the trees. So I'm like, I hope I don't get a bear 
or a wolf or any, anything <laughs> on the way back because it's I don't know how I'm going to handle that. So um, I probably put, you know, like $8,000 worth of over the two, three years that I owned that property in just improvements between the excavation line, excavation, putting permanent blinds. Uh, it was really, really nice. And so and actually made, became really good friends even to this day. I still chat with uh, uh, with, with my neighbors um, from the, the adjacent properties. And, uh, you know, th- three years went by. I actually didn't shoot a single year out of that property all the big bucks that showed up were after dark and the few that i saw during daytime were smaller and i didn't you know i had already shot my small deer so i'm like i'm gonna pass on them so i'm like okay well i can continue to grind this out and just like you know make it happen or like let's just keep keep this journey going so um i listed the property for sale so now we're talking 2020, 2019, 2020. And, uh, you know, I, I had good pictures. Like, there were big deer that were drawn to this farm. Like, just, just when I was there, they were just. It's all six hours away, too. Yeah, exactly. So I couldn't, if I was going there, I, I had to hunt it straight on for like three or four days just to make the trip worthwhile. Like, I didn't have a chance to just chip away at it mm-hmm. um, over the season. So I, I certainly was pressuring it quite a bit. Um, so then, so I listed the property after owning it for three years and, you know, I had pictures of the books. It was a Jeff Sturges improved property that it was, the plan was followed down to a T and it sold within three days. I had multiple offers come through and I got more than like, they were essentially bidding each other out mm-hmm. to get it. Because I mean, again, like where are you going to find a turnkey North- farm that had a lot of the heavy capital expenditures put into it? Most people are scared to do that and, and understandably. Exactly, and having the you know the Jeff Jeff's yeah. name uh, behind it was a big deal, especially in Wisconsin too. Right, like, exactly, and I yeah. and I had the pictures to to prove all that. So I made a, a, a small amount of profit on, on it. I had moved up in my job uh, and had put a little bit more money aside. So now the properties in Illinois that maybe were a dream of three thousand, four thousand dollars an acre, all of a sudden it's like well, it could actually happen. So I, I reached out to, I, so I started looking, right? Like started looking for what was available. I wanted to start generally in the same area where the public and the lease, that whole area where it's an area that I was familiar with, an area that I know has a good deer. Uh, and I found another 40. And I really like 40s just because, again, for one person and all the amount of work that you're going to take on your own seems manageable. I, 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 keep, I keep thinking if I went up to an 80 or, or bigger than that, I probably wouldn't be able to give it the amount of time and, and to really manage it to the, to the standards I think I have developed over the years to really get the most out of it. Uh, so I feel like anywhere between like 40, 50, I think 50 probably would be the sweeter spot for me as a single hunter with no tractor and like having to do all the work most for the most part on my own. Um, so found this 40 uh, out of very close to the Mississippi River. Uh, Chase Burns had the listing. I reached out to Chase. He took the time to kind of show me the property. Probably had 11 acres that were already uh, tillable. So mm-hmm. that, that was already a huge plus. Had a small creek that ran through it, uh, lots of red oak, uh, and a lot of just trashy um, um, trees in, in their mix. So had a ton of potential. Gave Jeff a call. He looked at the, you know, looked at it, set it up all in the map. I'm like, okay, I'm starting to learn how Jeff thinks. And I made a lot of the predictions of what he was going to do. And, it, and for the most part, we were on the same page on what needed to get done. Um, the good news is I didn't need a bulldozer this time. I could just get somebody with a mulcher to come through and do most of the work. I also felt comfortable doing the work with the chainsaw myself. And I know a lot of people talk about TSI. You can do a lot of TSI on your own with the, with the chainsaw. So I did a lot of that. 
um, I had a, I put a camper in there because now it's closer. Now it's only taking me like three and a half hours to get there. So I'm spending the night there. I can actually, this is a peak of pandemic. So I could work from, from the camper as long as I had internet access, I could be working from there and then in the afternoon go out and, and get, get things done. So did a lot of the, all of the improvements to the property. Uh, Austin Chandler from the, from the podcast, uh, from these, uh, these guys live really close. He's a farmer. He has access to the tractor. Obviously, knows hunting very, very well. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came out and he would help me out. Like he, he has a tractor. He has a drill. He could do the food plots. I could, I could call the, um, the co-op and just call and say, "Hey, come and spray herbicide. This mm-hmm. herbicide this much on this area. I'll flag it for you." And they would do it. So that's a good thing if you're in, in, in an area that has access to um, a co-op that can so save you so much time. So much yeah, time. So much time. Yes. So much time. And then like, that's the thing I don't, first of all, I don't have space in, in out in suburbia to put a tractor. Like, I don't even know if I would be allowed to. <laughs> um, and most of the work I, I can do, I do it with either a UTV or, or an ATV. Um, but he has all the you know, access to all of that. So he came out, he will do all of that. And then I can subcontract the, the mulcher and do all the kind of habitat work. And then anything that's smaller, then I'll just do it myself with uh, backpack sprayer or the chainsaw if i need something bigger i have the utv with the with the boom on the back so i can spray a lot of that on my own um so again the first year just getting a sense of what's what's on the property this is adjacent to big a big uh, um, public ground so it's kind of like trying to understand what the pattern from the deer was uh and how it's accessing and my property and and also hunting a little bit of that public uh, next to it so over the past over those three years i started getting a pretty good sense of the, what kind of inventory of deer were visiting in the property and again the, i kept those standards high so i saw deer that maybe were three-year-olds in like i'd say like 120s 130s so i'm like oh just give it another year and there's a few, there's a couple there that I have seen grown. And this is super cool because you, you see about it, hear about it. Like, oh, I've been trekking this year and I named this deer. Like, this is the first time I actually get to see that uh, at my own property. And uh, over those three years, again, I'm like, I'm not, I don't, don't want to shoot the bells. I just want to focus on the bugs. And I also had access to the, to, to, to the leads. So I could be very, very picky about what I wanted to shoot. And uh, so the three years went by. A lo- there was one book that I actually was after that he had, he was, Ready. he was ready and we played cat and mouse this lat the last season and he just you know we didn't fucking meet at the right place at the right time but that was a good bug to take out of that farm every, every other bug i just wanted to keep 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 growing them out um so three years went by so 2022 this past uh fall uh chase calls me and he's like hey you know if that property you bought that you have improved if you were to sell it now you could make a pretty good profit on it and at the time, you know, like you have mentioned this in, in the podcast, you, we, we tend to think like this is the one and only, this is the one that's forever. And, and I actually just do, I have thought about that certain times, but I'm like, well, I really like how I set this place up. It works for my job. It's not too far. It's close to the leads. Uh, I figure out who can take care of the, the drilling and all that stuff. I'm like, well, how much do you think we can get? And, um, and he said, well, you could at least make 100K. Going in my mind, I'm thinking, I, this whole thing started with $10,000. Yeah. And, and just like wanting to become a better deer hunter. And all of a sudden you're like hearing like like significant amount of money can be made doing this. And I never really got into it. So, you know, you hear a lot of guys saying, you know, you get in the land, it's gonna, you know, appreciate and, and, and you know, get in it to make money. For me, it's always been about, I want to learn about deer and I want to mm-hmm. be able to shoot deer. 
then all of a sudden it becomes real that you know, there is real value and you can make a lot of money doing this. I mean, it's just me, one one guy flipping one property at a time, but like, I can see how some some people who who are most of, most of the ones that I know who are farmers that will buy you know multiple hundreds of acres and pay close to a million dollars all in in multiple properties. I, I can see why they do it, and because they are going to farm this ground, and they, they I see the, the the thinking behind it why it makes so much sense. I just never really it's, that's just not the way I was raised. It was just for me, it's always been corporate gig type of thing, and, and never thought of it as like me being the farmer as much as I love. It's just and not not for me so he mentions that kind of money i'm like okay let's say if i do this what would be my checklist for the next property and i think this is important because i feel like in every property that i've owned and then as years have gone, gone by i learned from the previous property on your checklist gets more refined yeah exactly like you start with a big funnel i just want a lot of land and then well it needs to have this much tillable what kind of soil does it have does it have big you know big neighbors are the neighbors constantly there is there big uh public adjacent to it and sometimes that is positioned as a plus and it can be but for for, for me it just I'm like i want to hunt my property i don't want to be just spending all the time in the, in the public so you're absolutely right. Like your list becomes more refined. So I was like, okay, is a six thousand dollar an acre property that's even closer to home, that's closer closer to civilization, to good restaurants. Like I'm just trying to like figure out the full package because like now you can't. You went from like how can I get the most land to can I get what I actually really really want? What do I really really want? I want great genetics, and that comes like with location, like location. I mean, you hear this all the time in real estate, location, location, location. Yep. It's absolutely true because even if in Northern Wisconsin, even if I, if I had bought 200 acres and I had put a ton of food plots, the reality is there's still a ton of predators, there's still a ton of, of pressure, and there's just not that many deer. And the winters are really harsh, harsh, and they will kill a lot of a lot of deer. So I wanted a place that was closer to home. I wanted a place to that it was closer to the highway for easier access, great neighborhood. I wanted to be the only or the the yeah the have the smallest uh, woodlot or be the only woodlot in the area. So surrounded by ag and me being the one that has the uh, the cover and then a good history of, of big, you know, big deer there. And I found the, the one property and it had exactly like, this is looks like your a stereotypical Midwest farm of the, you know, corn and soybeans with the drop, you know, on the top and then drops mm-hmm. into the woodlawn and the creek at the bottom. And it was like 40, 40 some acres. And it was just, it was just perfect. And, um, and it had good, good history of big deer there. And, uh, but it was a pretty penny. It was over $6,000 an acre. And we're in November. And as everybody knows, like you've talked about this quite a bit, the Fed is right, you know, starting to turn up the heat with the, with the rates. So I'm like, well, like, you know, that's your thing. Like, how are we going to do this? I mean, I, we didn't talk about the 1031 exchange, but the, I didn't even know about the 1031 exchange until uh, Chase mentioned it to me. And then now, now I had that in my back pocket. And uh, so I found this property. I'm like, this is the only one that I'm interested in. So I uh, made the offer without selling mine, which is, I probably wouldn't do something like that again. It's incredibly- <laughs> added, added stress. I just can't imagine. <laughs> it's incredibly stressful. I do not recommend that. Uh, it, you know, I got lucky, but I, I, it's not something I would re- recommend doing. So I put an offer on it. I like the, the, the price that I offer and they, they agreed upon it. One cool thing, and I, I don't know if you have talked about this before, agents want to make the deal work. Like your, your agent, the dealer agent, everybody wants to make the deal work and everybody will do whatever it takes to, to make it work. In this case, sorry, my computer keeps okay. closing up. 
in this case, um, because we didn't have my property even listed when I made the property, when, 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 when we made the offer, we pushed out the closing date. And I actually didn't, I hadn't even thought that that was an option. Push it out 60, 90 days to buy you time to do this, to, mm -hmm. to sell your own. So, um, so we did that and, and Chase is like, yeah, I think we, we, we can do this. And, and at I this point, arms are still moving pretty quickly too. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, things things get listed and sold, you know, relatively, gosh, I'd say 35, 30 days, 45 days, if it's priced, priced appropriately. And that's the key right there. So he and I talked about, well, how much do we ask for this? And I'm like, it goes back to like, how much tolerance do you have? And, and, and like time is not on your side in this case, because you had the Fed, you already made an, an offer and accepted an offer. So I'm like, well, let's start near what we think is the top end. You don't want to leave money on the table. And then let's mm -hmm. just work backwards as, as we into so december rolls by and i had a, we had a couple of showing some interest but, but nothing really was happening january comes by and he's like okay and this is very very important he said okay things are starting to slow down the inquiries are starting to, to kind of drop a little mm -hmm. bit start to inject the listing with lower price kind of like bumped it bump it up and so so we did so we lowered the price a little bit so we get into january a few more showings and then i mean to be perfectly honest like and kudos to to chase and i think every agent in a way place shrink because <laughs> uh, yes yeah. yeah, people off the ledge like, dude i am sweating bullets i don't know if i can like swing having the payments on this one the payments on that one paying my mortgage is just it's a lot like I, i'm not comfortable with it uh and there were times where i'm like man like do i just like pull the plug and just eat eat it like losing the uh the earnest money the earnest money and like burning bridges but I'm like, i really don't want to and i really 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 want this property mm -hmm. like i didn't want anything else like i was not interested in anything else and and, uh, and like I said, I got lucky because a couple weeks before this whole thing was due, I got a cash buyer and the cash buyer came in lower than what we were asking. But at the time, I'm like, well, do I cover the, the gap or do we lose this thing altogether? I'm like, no, I'll, I'll cover the gap because, again, I really want this and I'm coming ahead. And I didn't know I did not want to give up uh, the taxes that I would have to pay. And that, yeah, that's and that's an important point to bring up. It's like that's the buffer a lot of times it's like well if yes. you don't you're gonna eat the taxes and then um like when you're replacing that new property too i mean obviously no one wants to overpay but if it's a piece you really want okay you can pay 50 percent tax on it or zero percent tax and that does change the, the the formulation quite a bit right yeah no it, it, absolutely true and again like we had to there's a sequential movement that needs to happen where for the 10th one to happen is okay well let's get mine sold first give a day or two a buffer so then they can then you can close on, on the new one and uh i mean in the end it'll work out I'm, and i'm like chase thank you for just putting up with me and like my anxiety i'm sure like you guys deal with this kind of thing often uh, kudos for to you for being able to manage it because you know it, it might be easy it's what's easier in pre previous transactions this one is one where I'm like I probably wouldn't do something like this again just because I might the, the I don't have the tolerance for that kind of stress or anxiety and I just I think that the, the whole fed and the thing how things were turning and what you see in the news at the time didn't make it any better either no yeah so yeah it, yeah uh, very uncertain time uh during that that time frame and I think that's that's something to bring up too it's like a lot of times these agents uh, help way more than just selling the parcel. Like the, to your point, uh, being a sounding board, providing guidance, um, unemotional guidance too. I, I think it's easy to get people, people get caught up in the moment to have someone that's looking at it a little bit more objectively is important. And then 
anytime there's a domino of deals, there's there's this more unknown because you're some of that's out of your control. Uh, for instance, like obviously the buyer for you being cash was a huge relief, I'm sure, yeah, because otherwise it's like, well, are they going to be able to get the loan? Is everything going to close okay? But uh, so it, it all worked out, and then your new farm. How, how has that been? Like, is a little bit closer to home? It sounds like yeah, a little a little bit closer to home. And again, the, again, being resourceful, surrounding yourself with people that you can help and help you. So Clark Cummings and his son Matt Cummings were big, big uh, bug killers in the area. They actually live really close by. So Matt has come out and did all the all the heavy lifting on the with the uh, tilling of the soil. We got two acres of soybeans, got an, about half an acre of um, clover in, and then we're getting to. The, I'm getting to the switchgrass game. I actually spoke with um, Skip a few months ago about switch, establishing switchgrass. It's just, uh, it's been a thorn in my side for a, for a long time just to get it done. It's, 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 it's hard, hard to get it going properly. Uh, of course, a little maintenance. So, but we, we got a lot of the seed in the ground. And it's, a, and it's a very expensive seed. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but that's, it's all going really well. And tip, just like last year, June is very dry. Yes. And we'll see what happens in, in, uh, <laughs> in the library. I mean, we need, we need rain. And uh, the, and I didn't mention this. So the property, oh, may touch on this lightly. The property was actually owned by the Whitetail Group, Bobby Kendall. These he's buying these properties and just like upgrading them just for hunting. So he's going in there with all the heavy machinery that I would have to pay a lot of money for to do heavy TSI. So he's taking out a lot of the big trees out there, opening up the canopy. He did a really, really nice job with that. Uh, created the trails, um, already had some of the food plots going there. So I'm just kind of like fine tuning it a little bit. And uh, the property, like the wooded part is already incredibly thick because of the, the TSI that, that uh, they had done. I just came in and I really opened up a, a couple of spots with really, really big, uh, almost almost like no no trees whatsoever. So it's just really, really thick. And you can see it uh, See some of the updates on on, uh, on Instagram that I have on that, but it's coming along really well. Put a, uh, just like Jeff talks about uh, water holes. I got yeah. water in there. Uh, it, overnight, I got deer just hitting that spot every single every single day. That's going to be an awesome rut rut spot to hunt. Um, and what I guess what I have learned just over these few years is I'm going to keep it super low impact. I think that one spot that it's I'm not even diving into the bottom. So I'm staying up on the high ground. It has a very unique um, pinch that that's a rut funnel where the, where this water hole is, and I think that's all it really is going to take. Once that switch grass gets up high enough, we'll get a blind up there, and then should be should be good. Should be yeah. Uh, good spot. That's cool, man. So, what would be a piece of advice? I mean, I, I can deduct these from your stories, but I want to hear from you. What what's been one of the biggest pieces of advice you would give someone that's just getting started? I mean, you you just dove into it, but would you would you suggest to not be too picky? Just to get the process started. I mean, what what are some key pieces of advice? Yeah, just take the first step forward and like start and figure out who you want to learn from and surround yourself with those people and just don't be afraid of asking and just be a sponge and and be humble. Like I've only done this for almost almost ten years. I'm certainly still a, a newbie. I'm just trying to like connect the thoughts from everything that I'm I'm hearing and learning from all the guys. Uh, that I've surrounded myself with and, you know, be, uh, you know, till, till the day I kick the bucket, this is what I want to keep doing and then try to get better at it. So just get started. And, 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 you know, if you want to buy land, if that's your priority, I would say buy something, get started because you can see how you buy some the diamond in the rough and just, you know, polish it a little bit, sell it, get that bigger piece, 
you only have to start with a two hundred, three hundred thousand dollar piece. You can start smaller. You just have to be willing to to drive, essentially. Yeah. So drive. Be willing to to to, to polish it up and and be patient too, because I mean, this story yeah. didn't happen overnight. I mean, we're yeah. talking over the span of many years. And I think that sometimes gets lost in the translation of these conversations because we're, we're just hearing the story in real time, but you hunted that first farm for three years. And you know, that's, you know, if, looking back, it doesn't feel like a long time, I'm sure, but it is a long time <laughs> when, when you think about it sometimes. So I think being patient is probably another one. And then I'll ask you this. So I assume you still lease, but leasing versus buying, give me, give me your, your take on, on both for someone that thinks they want to own ground. Let's say maybe they're leasing, maybe they're paying, I don't know, three to $5,000 a year for a, yes. a lease. And they're like, man, you know, I could, I could have that go towards my payment. Yep. Would you in a hypothetical ditch the lease, use that money to buy a piece and start building that portfolio? Or do you think that, Hey, if you just want to kill big deer, maybe a lease is a good opportunity. Yeah. It, it depends on a few things. One, if how much is the lease, right? Because the note on this and the farm that I have right now is over a thousand dollars a month. You know, mm -hmm. the, a truck payment could be easily seven, eight hundred dollars a month. So first start out with with that. Like how much are you gonna want to spend? If you can find the right lease, it's just a matter of like how many acres do you have access to, how many people are gonna hunt it, when can you hunt it, what caliber of deer do you got? If all you want to do is kill big deer and the land part of it and the management part of it and the investment part of it doesn't matter, go get a lease and just kill your big, big deer and there's no strings attached. Or like when you can walk away whenever you want. The land, I think, to me, is more of a, a long-term commitment. The investment part of it, I, I to me, is more like a, a bonus, an added bonus to it. For me, it's part of like hunting 365 days of the year. You know, I'm thinking about the, the you know, I'm planting trees like, like Skip was talking about uh, tree planting. Like I'm doing that kind of stuff. And you want to see deer grow at a certain age and you want to manage, manage the herd and that sort of thing. Like, yeah, like get the, get the, get the land. Yeah. I think I, I, I'm addicted to the process of doing yeah. the work. I mean, it, it is so rewarding and so fun. And uh, that's something that, that leases do ultimately cheat you out of. And I think anyone that loves deer hunting, it usually starts with, I want to just kill big deer. And right. then it's like, how can I be more involved in this process year round? And that inherently usually goes to land management or like learning more about habitat. And I'm sure you've had so many learnings throughout the process. Like TSI, you didn't know how to do TSI. You probably didn't know TSI standard for 10 years ago. No, right. Exactly. <laughs> and where, where do you start? How big does it have to be? I mean, I even got Lyme disease along the way. In this oh, journey. geez. That's, that's one of the scariest things to me. I, yeah. So how, uh, side note, has that been debilitated? Has that been tough on you, dehabilitating or so, not terrible? I, I mean, it's, I don't think about it anymore, but and so a few years ago and at the Lees, I was mowing the trails. I was driving back after the, I was done with it. I was driving home and I felt like a, an inch on my side and I was driving. It was dark. I couldn't tell what it was. I wasn't driving. So I kind of like scratched it off thinking it was just something like, a, you know, like uh, a burr or something like that. I got home and I like checked my shirt and there was blood on it. I'm like, well, that's not good. And there was something sticking inside. I'm like, that must, it was the head. Mm -hmm. Fast forward five days. I had gone to the, I went to see the doctor twice in those five days because I started feeling like it, it's almost like somebody flipped the switch. I was exhausted all of a sudden. I could not move. I was coughing, like a dry cough constantly. And the two times that I went to see the doctor, 
they're, they're like, I don't know what's wrong with you. And the second time, like, I really was like ready to give up on everything. Like, I'm like, I'm dying here and nobody can tell me what's wrong with me. And she said, just go to the to the ER. And I went to the ER. This is five days later after what I, what I told you about happened on the drive back. And when I get to the ER, I'm like, I'm, I just had no will to live. And it sounds like I'm exaggerating. I was exhausted. I had just nothing left in me. And I said, just test for, for, uh, for limes, test, test, test for lime, and then this is sub- suburbia. There's uh, there's no there's no ticks here. Everyone sprays for bugs every yard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I'm like, just test it, and I just like I remember saying that, and just like leaning back and just like shutting down. I'm like, I'm I'm done. And sure enough, I I had it. So they immediately uh, gave me uh, things called doxycycline, is the an antibiotic, and I had to be on it for for three three weeks i believe every single day and that made it go away completely completely mm-hmm. i haven't i don't feel any like any residual effects from it my understanding and i had to follow ups with a, a specialist about this it only is this way because they addressed it right away mm-hmm. if you did let it leave it untreated it kind of goes away for a little bit but then the disease likes to to live in your in your organs like it goes and and burns itself burns itself in your heart and like all all like the really critical parts of your body and then it becomes chronic and you cannot get rid of it scary yes yeah spray your permethrin this summer yeah and and uh drury uh, outdoors posted uh on instagram like that about about lines and i posted i'm like if you have the slightest slightest concern that you have it go get tested because you need to catch it early so they can fix you up and, and not have any lingering issues with it yeah I, I think that's a good thing to bring up because uh i walked some farms last week and i pulled like nine ticks off me and uh i don't think i had anything burdened to me but man it's just i just know enough people that have had it and that it could be really debilitating if if they don't yep. catch it and it, it is a little scary it's just that dumb little bug can do that to you yeah and if you're gonna get them off don't you've seen people talk about burning them just have a pair of tweezers in your glove box or whatever that's the best thing because then you can grab it right from from the little head and pull it straight out uh-huh. you try to do it any other way you run the risk of leaving some of it inside and that's what happened to me it just oozes all that all that stuff inside you dang man well, that's a, that's a hot tip for this summer. We're in the thick <laughs> of tick season, so um, yeah. Well, Mo, any any other words of advice that you can think of? I think your story is a great illustration of getting started, surrounding yourself with people, uh, being humble, and being you know wanting to learn from people that can help you and not being too stubborn. I think the point being is like the the story of the people you first hunted with. It is easy to do that in this space. We're like, well, I've owned this farm for, I don't know, 10 years, or my my grandpa's owned this farm forever, hunted it since I was a kid. Right. Be able to have a new perspective. I change my mind often. I think that's okay. I think that's a healthy thing to be like, oh, that's an interesting perspective. I didn't didn't think of that. And I respect that with you. I mean, be open. People are going to have their own way of doing things. And I'm just going by what I hear and just Taking a little bits from everybody. I think that's probably my style, just a little bit from everybody. Awesome. Well, where can people follow along on your projects? How, um, you had to send me a link to that video. I want to see that Wisconsin farm, how it, yeah. how it transpired. <laughs> it's, and, it's, uh, a, it's a short video, but I'll, I'll shoot it your way. I'm uh, happy for you to share with, it, with everybody. Uh, I only have an Instagram. It's uh, Mo under, underscore uh, underscore. Uh, N underscore arrow, more and arrow. Uh, and I'll just post there, you know, little things that I'm doing along the journey, some like before and after, some of the PSI, uh, the setup, the work that we're doing with the, on the farm, and, you know, water holes, all that kind of stuff. Cool, man. Well, I congratulations on your process. I look forward to following along on the new farm uh, this upcoming season. And uh, I want to thank you for your time. And uh, I'll be sure to plug your Instagram here. Awesome. Thanks, Jake.